He is alive today. I'm so excited that Jesus is alive. Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this powerful verse. He said this, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in this world. Do you get what Paul's saying? If the hope that we have is only in this life, if our hope is only in what's on this side of the grave and not the other side, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But Jesus' resurrection gives us hope beyond this side of the grave. Jesus' resurrection tells us that there's more to life than what we find in this life, that there's more life yet to come. Are you thankful that Jesus rose from the dead? Sin, sin could not tempt him. Death could not hold him. A grave could not keep him. Can anybody say amen today? His culture couldn't cancel him. Nothing could stop him. If you can defeat death, you can defeat anything and everything. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he's alive today. And Paul said that's our hope. Our hope is to get a hold of a resurrection that's on the other side. Our hope is to see life beyond this life, life that's on the other side of the grave. Now I'm going to give you a couple of pieces of bad news, then a whole lot of good news. Here's the bad news and we'll go through it quickly. Hope is on the decline in our world today. People in the culture today, people in our country and people around the world are not as hopeful as they have been in generations past. They ask a group of young people, and they've done this survey for many, many years. They ask young people between the ages of uh, 20 and 30. They said, do you expect to have a higher standard of living than your parents did? And for many, many years in the United States, young people said, yes, I expect to go further. I expect to have more. I expect to have a better life. Did you know the latest survey they did for this? In the United States, young adults 20 to 30 only 29% said, I expect a better future for me than my parents have. Hope is on the decline. People are not feeling as hopeful about their future anymore. And hear me on this. Loss of hope is deadly. See, we're not just divided evenly between body, soul, and spirit. We are spirit beings. We have a soul. And we live in a body. And when you lose hope, something happens to you spiritually. And that's connected as well with your body. I've seen people who were struggling and people who were dying. And it seems like sometimes they just give up the will to live. And when you give up the will to live, something happens. Do you know, here's the last bad news I'm going to give you today. And then we're just going to heap good news all over you. And you're going to shout today about the good news. But the bad news is the mortality rate is increasing in the United States. And, and for many, many years, life expectancy was going up. But that has now made a turn, and it's going down. And it's not because older people are dying. The study I read recently said more people between the ages of 25 and 60 years old are dying. I'm reading a book right now by Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a neuroscientist, and she said this, she said, many of the deaths of young people in our culture today are deaths of despair. They're just people giving up hope. They don't have any hope in a future, and it winds up ending their lives. Here's the good news. 
we have the greatest message of hope that's ever been delivered to the world. And I can give it to you in three words today. He is risen. The greatest message of hope that's ever been spoken. I can speak to you today. Jesus Christ is alive. And because he's risen, everything's going to be okay. He's alive. Pastor was telling a story about a lady in his congregation and she had a chronic illness and she often struggled with pain. And people would go up to her and say, how are you? Are you feeling okay? And the pastor said, this was the best lady you've ever met. He said, anytime anyone acknowledged her suffering and asked her how she was, she would say this, excuse the grammar, but this is what she said. She said, I ain't got nothing that the resurrection won't cure. And if I could just borrow her grammar for a minute with you, you and I ain't got nothing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ won't cure. Do you hear that today? There's no struggle you're facing that the resurrection makes you, doesn't make you a conqueror. There's no sickness more powerful than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no demon more powerful than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no addiction more powerful than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection will cure all the evils and the problems that plague our world today. We need hope. Now, if you're not a Christian, let me tell you this. If you're not a Christian and understand we have many people who attend Upward and many people who watch online who've not yet made a decision to serve Jesus Christ. They're people that are seeking truth. And here's what you need to search out about Christianity. The one thing you need to figure out if you're searching Christianity is you need to study the resurrection of the dead and you need to figure out for yourself whether or not Jesus truly rose from the dead. Now, if you can come to the conclusion that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you can completely abandon Christianity and go on looking for something else. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is useless, it's all a lie, and there's no point in us doing what we're doing right here today if he didn't come out of the tomb. Say, whoa, that's a bold statement. It's exactly what Paul said earlier in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, our faith, our religion is useless. But if you search it out, I believe you will find out that there is so much evidence outside of the Bible and outside of our faith that says Jesus truly rose from the dead. I'm not here to change your mind this morning. I'm simply here to bear witness to the truth. I'm not here to talk you into something because if I can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of it. I'm simply here to point you to Jesus Christ today and let him reveal himself to you. And when he reveals himself to you, you've got something much more powerful than a preacher convincing you with a winning argument. And I want to tell you, there are some good historical reasons outside of the Bible that I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to give you three of them real quick this morning, and we're going to move on to the meaning of the resurrection. Three reasons historically I believe the resurrection happened. Number one, it is a historical fact that his tomb was empty. The Romans saw it. The Jews saw it. There were many, many witnesses who saw the tomb was empty on this day that we celebrate. His body was gone. They could not find it. They did not ever discover where it was. They never found a body. That's historical fact, and you have a hard time overturning that. Second reason I believe it with all of my heart is because hundreds upon hundreds of people saw him alive after the crucifixion. Telling you, hundreds of witnesses coming together and pointing to something that happened at the same time. I mean, 
The Bible says that in Corinthians, says that over 500 people saw him alive at the same time. Some people think, well, the resurrection was just a delusion. How likely is it that 500 people at the same time and in the same place are going to have the very same delusion? You know, there are many things that are accepted as historical fact that have almost no witnesses. I was watching a documentary not too long ago on Adolf Hitler. Very interesting to watch and very telling to watch. And they began to speak of the end of Hitler's life. And and it's pretty commonly accepted in, in history that Hitler and his mistress committed suicide. But nobody saw it. I'm telling you, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there are hundreds of people who said... I saw him alive. There are eyewitness testimonies who saw him risen from the dead. You say, well, this resurrection fable just developed over time and it grew. No, my friends, the book of 1 Corinthians that tells us so much about the resurrection was written 20 to 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul actually listed the names of the witnesses. Do you know why he put them in there? Not so much for us. He put them in there for the people who were still living. Paul's saying, here's the names of some of these people. Go ask them. The eyewitnesses were still alive. The third reason I believe historically that proves that the resurrection really happened are the lives of the disciples after the resurrection. These were not superheroes. These disciples were weak, just like you and I. When Jesus was captured and when Jesus was taken to be crucified, all of them, save one, had fled, had run away. They had struggles. They had temptations. They were weak. Yet, after the resurrection, when they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, they went all over the world preaching the gospel and sharing Jesus Christ. And of twelve disciples, every one of them except John died for their faith. They died the death of a martyr. And I want you to hear me on this today. People do not die for myths and fables. People die for something that's true. Say, Pastor, why did those people die? Why do you think they gave their life? I'll tell you why I believe it to be true. They saw him risen from the dead. It was an undeniable fact that they could not get away from. They they had evidence in front of them that Jesus defeated death so they could go to death in his name. The resurrection is a historical fact, my friend. I believe with all my heart that it happened. If you're searching for the faith, search for the resurrection. Because here's the truth. If somebody can predict their own death, burial, and resurrection, and even predict the time frame, he said three days. If anybody can do that and pull it off exactly like they said it's going to happen, I'm following that person for the rest of my life. If any person can be crucified, died, and defeat death and come back exactly when he said he would, that person has the source of life itself. In fact, that person, Jesus Christ, is the source of life itself. Where do we find hope? Paul said if we're only hoping in this world, we're pitiful, we're miserable. Dr. Viktor Frankl, powerful name you ought to remember. Viktor Frankl was an, an Austrian psychiatrist who was captured and placed in a concentration camp by the Nazis. He was in one of the most infamous camps, Auschwitz. He spent a lot of time there. 
And when I found out this guy had written a book, being a psychiatrist, going through the horrors of a concentration camp, I said, I probably need to read that book. I recommend it to you. It's called Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. Frankl says this. He, he contrasts various schools of thought in psychology. And he says this. He says, Freud believed that man's chief aim was pleasure. That everything in our lives, Sigmund Freud believed that, that everything in our lives essentially was motivated by pleasure. Another school of thinking was Adler. And Adler said that our lives are motivated by power. That over all things, we're seeking for power. Viktor Frankl said, I found something different in the concentration camp. He said, what we're really searching for is meaning. What we're really searching for is a meaning for life. He wrote in his book uh, a quote by Nitschke, the, the philosopher, who I disagree with on many things, but he made this one quote. He said, a man can endure any how as long as he has a why. That we can go through anything if we truly have meaning and purpose in it. It's one thing to believe the resurrection happened. And it's one thing to look at the evidence. But it's another thing to discover the real meaning of the resurrection. What does it really mean to us? Well, first of all, the resurrection tells us that Jesus Christ is the true source of life. If you're looking for, we're all looking for life, aren't we? We're all searching for something. Now, the, the reason that so many in this generation don't have hope is because we search for life in the wrong places. See, the word on the street today is the word that some scientists and philosophers would give to our young generation today would say, you're just an animal. You happen by accident. Let me tell you something really quick. Just because a child surprises you, don't call them an accident. Sometimes people have a child and it's like, whoop, we're pregnant. And then they'll go throughout their life and say, well, they were our little accident. Do never speak that over a child. What you need to say is they were our greatest surprise. But if science has its way today in our thinking, we're all just accidents. This world is just an accident. This all just came together by some random process. And we just happen to be on this earth. No wonder this generation doesn't have hope. If we have no meaning in life, there's no hope. This generation's been fed the lie that you can find life on this side of the grave. But hear me, life is only to be found on the other side of the grave. And there's somebody that went to the other side, paid the price, and came back to bring eternal life into this life. That's what the resurrection means. True life is found only in Jesus Christ. You can accumulate lots of stuff and it will do you no good. You ever think you can be happy with stuff? How many have ever looked at that new truck and thought, if I could just get that, I'd be happy? Come on. It's Easter. You've looked at that something and thought, I can get it, I can be happy. And you get it. And for a little while, you are happy. Then somebody backs into it. There's something about a dent in the car that just takes all the joy right out of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's over. We've promised a generation they could find life and stuff and they tried it and they haven't found life. Our generation's believing the lie that you can be happy as long as you've got enough followers. 
long as my Facebook friends are enough, as long as I've got enough followers on Instagram. But yet again this week, we had another young person, an influencer on social media, take their own life. What a tragedy that is. Many times those things point to the fact that people got what they thought would give them life and they came up empty. That thing they wanted did not contain the life they expected it to contain. And I want to tell you today, the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is the one true source in life. And meaning in life is found in a relationship with Him, not through anything this world can offer. Second thing, the resurrection does this. The resurrection gives us a perspective on our own suffering. Now in the Old Testament, the Jews were looking for their Messiah. Isn't it amazing that the Jews, since their inception, have been persecuted and cast out everywhere they go? Since God called Abraham, the enemy has seen them as the people of God. And all over the world today, the Jews are persecuted. I'm going to throw this right out here. I hope this is popular, but if it's not, I'm going to throw it out here and keep throwing it out here. The nation that wants to be blessed will support the nation of Israel and pray for the peace of Jerusalem and support that part. I believe that with all of my heart. I'm very pro-Israel. Hear me, and I believe we need to be as a nation. They've been persecuted all over the world. We mentioned Hitler and the Nazis already today. The demonic hatred that came through those people to persecute and destroy the Jews. It's the same demonic hatred that fuels hate towards groups in the United States. It's the same demons that wants us to be divided, wants to divide and conquer us and get us to destroy each other. But I'm here to say today, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And the resurrection proves that Jesus has all the answers to that too. The Old Testament Jews sought for their Messiah. And they read the Old Testament scriptures that promised a Messiah. The only problem that they had was the Old Testament seems to promise two different Messiahs. When you read the Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah, you see two pictures. You see a a suffering Messiah and a conquering Messiah. You ever read the Old Testament? You ever read the Old Testament? Please help me out here. You read the Old Testament, right? Preacher, I skip over Leviticus once in a while. I do too. He beget, he beget, he beget. There's some good stuff in there, but once in a while I skip over it. I want to get to the good stuff, right? But if you read the Old Testament, you'll read the old uh, the prophecies about the Messiah, and there's tons of them. There's tons of prophecies. There's hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The problem was there's two different ones. You got Jesus, the Messiah, who's going to suffer. Then you got a Messiah, excuse me, you got a Messiah who's coming back, kicking butt, and taking names. Excuse me if I offended your oversensitive conscience here today. But you got suffering Messiah, and you got conquering Messiah. Suffering Messiah is found in Isaiah 53. He was wounded. It's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. Isaiah 53 says, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. That's the suffering Messiah. Then you got Psalm 110 that says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put all of your enemies under your feet. Until every enemy is conquered and you can stand over them in victory. 
So the Old Testament believers saw two messiahs. And let me just ask you a question. If you're being oppressed by a harsh government and you've been cast out and pushed out everywhere you tried to go, and you have a choice between a suffering messiah and a conquering messiah, which one are you choosing? I want Jesus who's kicking and taking names. I want Jesus to defeat the Romans. I want Jesus finally to make us the people of God we we are told we are. I want to conquer. Oh, we want the conquering Messiah, but we need the suffering Messiah. Because the suffering Messiah took the penalty for our sin. See, that's what happened when Jesus died. Your punishment and my punishment and the sin of the world was placed on Him. And He died and paid the price for it. We need the suffering Messiah. The problem, the Old Testament readers could not, they could not get around this and they could not see it with the perspective we do today. They didn't understand that their Messiah was going to come two times. They did not understand that the first time He came, He was going to suffer. And they did not understand that He was going to come again the second time as the conquering, the ruling, the reigning, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Oftentimes we lose hope in between suffering and conquering. But the suffering has meaning because of the resurrection. What does Jesus' suffering tell us? It tells us that not everything in life is going to go the way we want it to. You remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prayed and he said, Father, if possible, take this cup away from me. Let this cup of suffering that I'm about to drink from, let it pass. If there's another way, let's do it that way. Have you ever prayed that to God? God, I just really don't want to go through this. I'm done. I've had it. I'd rather find another way. Anybody other than me prayed that prayer? And I'm facing a lot less than crucifixion. Jesus prayed the powerful prayer, though. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done in my life. And he surrendered. And the suffering Jesus Christ endured on the cross was the suffering with the greatest meaning in the history of the world. Because without the cross, there can't be an empty tomb. Something has to die in order for resurrection life to come in. Our suffering has meaning. When we die to ourselves, do you know that's what it means to come to Jesus Christ? What's a Christian? Some people think a Christian is just a a nice person who smiles all the time, hands out candy, keeps all the rules. Christian just smiles all the time and never has any fun. Christian just always says, thank you, Jesus, I've got victory. It's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who has the Holy Spirit living within them. A Christian is someone who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, and Jesus has come to live in them. And that Christian will suffer. That Christian will struggle. That Christian will endure persecution. 
hear people today, and we do it all the time, don't we? Oh, the culture's against us. We've got Jesus. Oh, we're getting persecuted. The Bible promised you persecution when you follow Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be one of those guys who just tell you, you serve Jesus and you're just going to float along on a cloud playing a harp and everything's going to be fun the rest of your life. No, when you serve Jesus, the Bible said all those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The Bible said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Things will happen that we don't want to happen and things will happen that we don't understand. But the resurrection gives us perspective to see that every time there's a death, there's resurrection power on the other side. If you're walking in the will of God, anything you suffer is going to produce good fruit on the other side of that suffering. Can I get an amen today? Anything you suffer in the will. Now, if you do something stupid, you're suffering on your account. That's on you. Anybody done any stupid stuff? Anybody been there? Got the t-shirt? Got the scars to prove it? Me too. But when I'm suffering in the will of God, that suffering has a meaning. God's bringing something good out of it. And if there's a death of a hope and a death of a dream, there's a resurrection on the other side of something better. The last thing, the resurrection brings meaning to our life is this. The resurrection helps us understand our purpose for being on earth. The resurrection shows us our purpose for being on this earth. The disciples wanted Jesus to come and kick the Romans. They wanted a political reformation. And they, they were, many of them were so disappointed when Jesus died. You know, there's many people that still can't understand Jesus' death. The world of Islam today, they do not accept that Jesus could be the Messiah because they say no true God would die that way. Many people reject him because he was crucified. They think if he was really God, he would not have gone through that. What they fail to understand is this, that I say again and again, Jesus' life wasn't taken, he gave it willingly. He surrendered it willingly. Do you understand that? But the disciples, after he was risen from the dead in Acts 1-6, they asked him a question. They said, Lord, now is it time that you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Lord, that you've defeated death and come out of the grave, is it time now for the political reformation that we want? And Jesus said, time is none of your business. If I have a complaint about the Lord, it's that. Timing. If I have a thing that I don't understand about God, it's timing. And when I ask him about it, he says, none ya. None ya business. That's what he said. It's not for you to know the times and seasons that God has placed in his own power. But, he said, without taking a breath, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. He redirected them to understand that they did not need a political reformation. They needed a spiritual transformation. 
And that message needs to be spoken all over our nation today. What we do not need is a political reformation, but what we cannot live without and will not survive without is a spiritual transformation foundational to who we are. Can I get an amen on that? So many people, Lord, will you change this? Jesus is saying, I came to do something deeper than Raleigh, North Carolina and Washington, D.C. He said, behold, I make all things new. He didn't come to disrupt the politics. He came to break the power of sin and death off of our lives and give us hope beyond this world. What's going to change this world? When the human heart changes. When communities come to Jesus Christ. And you know that how that happens? When we find our true purpose in life. The purpose of manifesting Jesus in our world. After the resurrection, Jesus um, ran into some people. Now just imagine that. Imagine you follow Jesus, you've served Him, you've lived with Him for three years, and all of a sudden, He's gone. And you spend three days worrying and fretting and thinking, man, it, it all meant nothing. And then all of a sudden, you see Him. You know, the resurrection was so, it was too wonderful for them to believe. That's why they couldn't believe it. Jesus told them more than once, he said, they're going to kill me and I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. Why weren't they at the tomb waiting? I believe I'd have sold tickets. I don't understand why on resurrection morning, the only people that actually got to see it were some Roman guards and they were scared out of their minds. I don't understand why all the disciples weren't there. I think the resurrection was too wonderful for them to believe. They couldn't believe it would happen. And then even when they saw Jesus, they couldn't believe it. Mary, who Jesus had delivered, who Jesus had loved, who Jesus had forgiven of so much, was in the garden that day. She was weeping. And Jesus walks up to her. And she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. She thinks he's there to prune the plants. And he goes up to her and he says, Woman, why, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She looks up and she says, Mr. Gardener, they've taken the body of my Lord away. And they've hidden his body somewhere and I don't even know where it is and I can't find him. And she didn't even know him. But when he spoke her name, he said, Mary. And she said, Rabbi. You know what she did? She ran up and hugged him. Just like I have a couple of y'all this morning. Because I hadn't seen you since the pandemic and you're back. I warned you I was going to hug you. You came anyway, forewarned. She ran up and hugged him. That's exactly what I would do. He's come back from the... But Jesus says something. He says, don't touch me. How rude is that? What? Post-resurrection Jesus kind of rude. What do you mean don't touch you? I'm Mary. I'm saying, you set me free. You delivered me. And you went, went and died on us. You've been gone and we've been fretting for three days. We've been crying and there you are. Yes, I'm going to hug you. 
People debate what that means. In the Greek, it meant, it didn't mean just don't touch me. Jesus wasn't afraid of being contaminated by Mary. In the Greek, it's don't cling to me. I think what Jesus was saying to Mary is, Mary, from this point forward, you will not be dependent on my physical presence, but you will live off my spiritual presence through the Holy Spirit. Don't cling to me being with you. Cling to me living in you. Oh, I'm preaching now. The Holy Spirit in you is more powerful than Jesus beside you. Because when you have the Holy Spirit in you, and if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He manifests Jesus through you. Amen. Amen. See, that's my purpose in life. My purpose is to love Him and be loved by Him. And let Him live in and through me. That's why I'm here. And that's why you're here. Amen. You might be a plumber. And everybody thinks your job is to unclog drains and to install plumbing. You may be a landscaper. And you make lawns and gardens and things beautiful. You may be a doctor and you help bring healing to people. You may be a teacher and you stand in front of a classroom, but your vocation is just a part of your real purpose. Teachers that know Jesus, when you're in that classroom, you're there to show those students Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not supposed to do that. Governments never could stop that. Amen. When you walk by their desk, just say, in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to say it really loud. If you're a nurse or a doctor, you're called to bring healing to people. And who better to flow you through you in your vocation than the great physician? If you're a handyman and you go around and fix things and repair things, you go into people's homes and while you do, the Holy Spirit goes into that home inside of you. Oh, I love Easter and I'm going to preach all day and we got another crowd coming in. At 11.30, I'm going to preach this message for the fifth time. I hope to get it right. Famous evangelist was talking about it at time and I'm closing. He was in a McDonald's and he was ordering a hamburger. And there was a lady standing next to him. And he told this story later. He's a great evangelist and just filled with Jesus. He's gone to be with Jesus now. But he said, I just turned and I looked at this girl standing next to me. And she just crumpled down to the floor sobbing. And he thought, what did I do? And he knelt down and he said, dear, are you okay? What's wrong? And she said, you convict me of my sins. And he thought, wow. He said, well, he prayed for her right there and led her to Jesus right there at the counter of McDonald's. And later he said he went to prayer and he just said, Lord, what is that? What happened? And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, I live inside of you. I can look out anytime I want. 
That's what I pray for you. For the Holy Spirit to dwell in you so richly that everywhere you go, people are finding Jesus Christ all around you. Amen. Not for your glory, but for His. Not for your to be built up as some super Christian. No. All the glory goes to Him. The resurrection gives us that purpose to take Him to the nations. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. And thank you for the opportunity to celebrate your great resurrection. And today, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I ask that you do your work by your word that we cannot do. If you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed or watching online, we're so glad you are. And you say, Pastor, today is my day to say yes to Jesus Christ. As the Savior and Lord of my life, I will not embarrass you here in this place today, but I would ask you if you could say that. I'm saying yes today, preacher. Saying yes today, pastor, to Jesus. Can I see your hand right now? Anybody? God bless you. Thank you so much for that hand. Is there another one here? Anybody else? Anybody else today? Saying yes to Jesus Christ. Can anybody say, pastor, I need to find my purpose in life in Jesus I need to find a purpose and meaning in life beyond getting up every day and going to work. And I want to look for it in Jesus. Can I see your hand today? Amen. God bless you. Can anybody say, Pastor, I'm suffering. I'm going through a trial. And I need the power of the resurrection to help me see the meaning in it. And to get through this trial and see a resurrection on the other side. Can I see your hands now? Yes. Thank you so much. I want to pray right now for those saying yes to Jesus. Pray along with us today. Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. I ask you to forgive my sin. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord. From this day forward, I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all so much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.